morning, I am continuing to uh, pursue the series entitled, What Should I Realistically Expect in My Christian Life? And uh, we talked about a few things so far, so we're going to continue with that this morning. Um, kind of the gist of this series of messages is centered around the reality of, of being a Christian, and whenever we as Christians have unrealistic expectations, uh, sometimes we can become discouraged or uh, unprepared for life as it comes. And so, um, and we started out with the illustration of a farmer and a profound statement that my neighbor man said that if you have a complaining farmer, he won't be a farmer very long. And that farmers expect that some years will be better than others. And that kind of got me thinking. So I won't go back through that whole conversation again, but that's, that's kind of where it all started. All right, this morning, uh, what can you realistically expect in your walk with God? You can realistically expect that as you progress in your relationship with God, that you will change your mind about God. You can expect that to happen. And you will also change your definition over time, what it takes to be a Christian. None of us live in a static situation where nothing changes. Our lives are fluid. As life presents itself to us, and the experiences of life, as they come to us, change us. They impact our lives to a greater or lesser degree. Some are dramatically impact our lives, just kind of like turn it upside down, at least for a period of time. Some are small, some are subtle. But you can't stay, you can't stay static. You're not going to be the same person this year as you were last year. And at the, at the end of next year, you will not be the same person as you are sitting in this pew this morning. That is impossible. We will change, either for the good or for the worse. So the question is not, am I going to change? The question is, how am I going to change? That's the question. That's the big question. How am I going to change? Am I going to be transformed into the image of Christ? Or am I going to attempt to bend the scriptures to fit my agenda? I 
I was speaking with, uh, having conversation with CJ, and we were talking about this individual, and uh, I, I said, you know what, I have really appreciated watching that individual mature. And that individual was somebody in our congregation. I won't tell you who it is. So you can all think that it's you. All right. I have really enjoyed appreciating watching that individual mature spiritually. And he said, yeah, he said, age and children will do that. <laughs> and I think of, when I think of that, I always think of Dave Fry asking the students at Bible school, which of, how many of you have helped, uh, how many of you have, what was it, what was it? How many of you have helped your parents finish growing up? And they all looked at him like, duh. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll just make it easier. How many of you are the oldest child in the family? <laughs> to me, it's very encouraging to watch people grow spiritually. And and I reflect on that, and I and I tell myself, Dennis, you've been very very lax in just simply pointing that out to people in the congregation and on an individual basis. But but I will say it as a group. I, I will say it as a group. That is so encouraging to me. On the other hand, it can be very discouraging to watch an individual. Just slowly go backward and lose out in their walk with God. And so this morning we have to be determined. We have to pay attention. We have to be determined to keep pressing on to higher ground. Conforming our lives, our minds, our lifestyles into Conformity with the life of Jesus Christ. Because that's the most important thing on a Christian, a real Christian's agenda. That's the most important thing. Nothing else can get higher than that or else we're in trouble. The most important thing for you to get accomplished from the time you Draw your first breath on this earth till you draw the last breath on this earth is to conform your life into the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. And so, uh, we talked about pessimistic and optimistic farmers. So, this morning, how optimistic or how pessimistic I am in relation to my walk with God could well determine how long I'm going to last.
See, if I think for some odd reason that God's given me a bum deal and I'm not getting what I deserve and the whole world's going down the tubes, see, I won't last very long as a Christian. But see, that's not the case. God always has the best in the future. You read that in Revelation. God always has the best in the future. So you can realistically expect that as you mature spiritually, your definition of God is going to change and your definition of a Christian is going to change. I got this track one time in the mail from my uh, brother in Virginia. I think it came with something to do with Maranatha Bible School. And the title of the track is, They Can, But I Can't. And the gist of the tract was, as you and I grow spiritually, there will be things in our lives that we cannot continue to do. And that is determined by our concept of God. I could comfortably do it, but as I grow, I realize, you know what? I can't do that anymore. That's not. That ain't going to work. It's not going to take me where I, I, I want to end up. And when that happens, the people around you are going to see that. Now, they're not going to maybe see it overnight. But as they reflect back over one, two, three, four, five years, they will see that you are a different person than you were five years ago. You see, we rarely kid each other. We basically read each other like a book. Did I ever say you did I ever tell you about the, the school board? Years and years ago. I, I don't know, ten years ago or something. The school board had a question for all the ministry. And, and I can't even remember what the question was anymore. So we're going to ask Arnie, and then we're going to ask Warren, and then we're going to ask Dennis. Okay, this was back before whatever. Uh, and so they said, okay, so they, they said among themselves, see, we didn't know this, that Arnie's going to say this, and Dennis is going to say this, and Warren's going to say this when they come in. That's what they're going to do. So we each went in, and guess what happened? They were dead on. We said exactly what they said we were going to say. Folks, we don't kid each other. We pretty much know. We pretty much know. 
The seventh thing you can expect, as a Christian, you can realistically expect, that somewhere along the way you're going to come to this startling realization. If you're serious with God, you're going to come to the startling realization that what I have been burning myself out doing, that burning myself out doing, is my highest priority. As you age and as you look back, you will have to admit, if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God, that what I am burning myself out doing, that is my highest priority. People say, well, that's just getting old. Well, maybe it is getting old. You have more to reflect back on, I guess. But as you as you mature and and in your walk with God, there is a certain amount of shakedown. All right, preachers hit this at a crisis. All right, you know it's like. All right, ordained, you know, and I remember the the Sunday I was ordained, and and uh, next morning at work, I can take you to the house and the garage, man. I'm telling you, with some pretty serious shakedowns there in that garage. Like I can't do everything that I wanted to do in life. I can't do that. And do what God wants me to do with this huge job that he gave to me. There's going to be some shakedown of priority. That's just the way it is. So, you know, for preachers, that's kind of a crisis situation, whatever. But, but everybody, somewhere along the way, as you evaluate life, as you evaluate what's happening in your life you somewhere along the way will need to make some decisions of what I'm going to burn myself out doing. Rest assured, you will burn yourself out doing something. The question is, what is it? See, Jesus said, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Very simple. I'm glad Jesus was so simple and so profound. I, you know, it, it doesn't take a brilliant person to figure that one out. Um, see, you only have so much mental and physical energy as an individual. Now, I was disappointed to find how much physical energy I had. You see... One, uh, according to statistics or information or whatever, uh, one person can only put out one-tenth of one horsepower consistently. See, that is equivalent to a 200-watt bulb. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) You can consistently put out what a 200-watt bulb puts out. That is if you're healthy. 
<laughs> you're not healthy. Uh, there's, there's only so much mental capacity and ability for you to expend. All right? So the question is, what am I going to expend that one-tenth of a horsepower or that 200-watt light bulb or that mental energy? What am I going to spend it on? Am I going to spend it on myself? Am I going to spend it on others? Am I going to spend it for God? What am I going to spend it for? You see, you can go along, you and I can go along about so long without thinking. But somewhere along the way, there's, there's going to be a crisis. I'll warn you, there's going to be a crisis where you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with your life. And how you're going to invest it. You see, if I spend it on myself, I, I can do that as a Christian, but somewhere along the way... I, if I'm serious with God, there's going to be some shifting taking place. Alright? Because as I assume my responsibility, as I see, as I realize my accountability to God, I realize that I can't keep doing this all for myself. Life isn't all about myself. Life is about others. And so, it's going to, if, if you're serious with God, there's going to be a shift happening in your life. And as that shift shifts, there is going to be a shift from lack of meaning to a shift of meaning. You and I can never find meaning in life living for ourselves. You know that. I know that. That's simple. Our culture don't get it. But as Christians, we realize that. So as that shift occurs, by necessity, there will be a shift from the material to the spiritual. So you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. Jesus said that. So, as a shift occurs, that shift has, will affect your view of material possessions. So material success will become less important and spiritual success will become more important. If we're serious with God. I think the biggest disappointment that a human being could have or experience would be to serve yourself and material possessions and somewhere get really, really close to your deathbed and realize that you wasted your life because you ain't going to take along anyhow. That would have to be a horrendous disappointment. 
Here I've burnt up all this energy and I've spent all my mental capacities on all this stuff and I end up with nothing. That is a tragedy beyond comprehension. So, the greatest thing you and I can do in life is to expend our our lives and our efforts and our mental energy into something that will outlast us. And you know what that is? It's not Chevy cars, nor Toyota cars, nor pickups, or anything else. If you don't believe that, just go down by, what do they call out there, the recycling place down there along 218. Alright? In, in, in the devotional this morning, uh, that was our, our daily bread, or it was, uh, uh, uh two of them I look at in the morning. Um, it said every one of them cars have a story. When you go to the junkyard, every car has a story. Alright? You know, it may just rust it out. I mean, it just ran till it just died, you know, or it could be had the side caved in. Well, that has a story in itself. I mean, you know, it's like what happened and then how many people were injured or how many people were killed or I mean, it's burned out, you know, and it's just completely burned up. And, and that car has a story too. But guess what? The story ends all at the same place, the junkyard. Everything else in this world is going to end up the same place too. Unless I expend my life on something that outlaw, that outlives everything that I can see around me, I have lost tragically, incredibly, incomprehensibly. So when you draw your last breath, when I draw my last breath, where it's all coming, my oldest brother, which always did everything the best of everything they could do, you know, that's like how old his brothers are, you know what I mean? It's like they always had the advantage, and they're always, they get everything, you know, and they tell the little boy, little brothers what to do and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, my oldest brother's driving is getting horrible. They tell me. It's like, you don't want to really ride with him anymore. So, yeah. And, and I'm talking to my other brother about this, you know. And it's like his his family should be paying attention to this, you know. And, and getting a plan for them. And, and Arvin says to me, he says, well, we're all heading, we're all heading there, you know. We're all heading there. <clears throat> When you draw your latest breath, your last breath, will this world have been better because of you? Will the kingdom of heaven have been advanced because of you? Will your family have been better because of you? Will your church 
have been better because of you. If you and I cannot answer those last five questions in affirmative, folks, we better have a major shakedown in our life and get things changed. Because we're wasting our time. Those are the only things, and closely related, that's going to make any difference In the future. You see, the best that you and I can expect as far as living here is 1,100 years. You know that. If you're a premillennialist. <laughs> you get a thousand, and if you get a hundred, you know, add that to a thousand. So about the best you can get hope for is 1,100 years. So... <clears throat> Paul says a dramatic statement about David. He said, for David, and this is in Acts 13.36, and actually, you should, if you, if you, if you, if you have a habit of, of underlining something in your Bible, turn at it, turn it right now, right now, turn it and get your pen out. Because you need to under, underline this. Acts 13.36, Paul says something tremendously incredible. Incredible statement that every one of us should be able to be said about by somebody else. Acts 13.36 says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on a sleep, and was laid unto his fathers. A.W. Tozer says, no one, and I think I've said this over the pulpit, and I'll repeat it this morning, no one has the right to die till they have served their generation by the will of God. You don't have a right to die. You will, but you really don't have a right to die. But you have a right to die if you have served your generation by the will of God. That's a lifetime proposition. It is the ultimate method of experiencing meaning in life. It's what the world is looking for but don't know it. Why are things in our culture the way they are? Why is the quest for fame and riches in Hollywood end up in multiple divorces and an unusually high suicide rate? It's because they're living for self and life is not giving them what they think it should. If I believe that our North American culture owes me something, I am drastically mistaken. You see... If material things made people happy, then America should be the happiest people in the world. There are 102 million Americans that are worth, so to speak, we use that term worth, 
$93,000 or more. A hundred and two million Americans. That constitutes the 10% of the world that owns 80% of its material possessions. A hundred and two million. America, if America, if happiness was connected to material possessions, America would be the happiest nation in the world, and it is one of the most unhappy. America's only hope is in Christ. And you know what, this morning, brothers and sisters? You and I, as Christians, are the only people in the world that can present to them that hope. That is a sobering thought. They're not going to get it anywhere else. God has put us as Christians on this earth to present hope to a hopeless culture. That's our job. Number eight. As a Christian, you will probably look back on that still small voice in your head and you will wish that you would have listened to it more often. Maranatha has this big monstrous boiler down in the basement. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. It is about this high maybe and about from here to the wall long and it's round and it sucks up gas and makes heat and this it'll put out 3,820,000 BTUs if it's going wide open. This, this thing will heat three buildings that size. Actually they put it in sizing it for six more classrooms on the end. That's actually drawn in one of the prints. All right, They figured they would double the size of the school. So this thing's a monstrous thing. Anyhow, so Arnie, when he's telling me how to run this monstrous boiler, he's saying, okay, Dennis, when you replenish the water, okay, it's got this one-inch water line come in, and it's this valve. He said, whenever you replenish the water, he said, you never take your hand off of that valve while you're doing that. You stand there. You don't ever take your hand off. You watch the glass. And when the water level is where you want it, then you turn it off. But you never take your hand off of it. All right? Got it. So I am adding water to the boiler. I take my hand off. This little boy says, don't do that. You remember what Arnie said? Yeah, I know what Arnie said. But, I, you know, it needs a lot of water. All right? So I can do something else. So I do something else, and I do something else, and I decide, you know, maybe you should go to the uh, post office for uh, the mail. I'm at the mail. At the post office, my cell phone rings. Um, 
this is the monitoring company from Rochester. Um, we have an alarm going off in the boiler room, a uh, fire alarm. Um, the fire trucks are on their way. Um, should you, um, should we let them keep on coming or call them off or what? And I said, I'm only one block from the school. Just call them off, and if I need them, I'll call you back. And she said, well, what is your password? Okay, she's covering her hide. And I told her what it was. She said, okay. So I go to the school, and I won't tell you what speed I went, but anyhow, and I opened the boiler room door, and I can't even see the hand in front of my face for all the steam. I was like, what is going on? It is just incredibly hot in there. It must be 120 degrees. And just just a wall of steam. So I reach around the corner and turn off the boiler. That's the first thing, emergency shutoff. Anyhow, guess what happened? The boiler filled up. The pop-off pop, Boiling water out all over everything, heating up the building, and the high temps went off, and... And um, fire trucks are on their way, and it's like, oh, poor pity's sake. You know what my problem was? I knew better. I didn't. It wasn't like I didn't think about what Arnie said. I mean, I, I couldn't... When I took my hand off there, I could envision Arnie standing there telling me, Dennis, don't you ever take your hand off that valve. As a rule of thumb, I don't know about you, but I have more problem at times doing things I know I shouldn't. rather than doing things that I was unaware of what the results were. How many times how many times that little small voice tell you that maybe uh, you, sh you should just go to that person in the church and encourage them a little bit. Thank them for what they do and whatever. I just told you this morning, I fell down. I, I just don't do that the way I should. You know what? Uh, Jason's not here this morning, is he? You know, I had full intention the Sunday at the end of the quarter, when Jason taught that quarter, and that's the first time he taught Sunday school, to go to Jason and say, you know, Jason, I really appreciated, you know, the effort it took for you to teach Sunday school. And you know what? I still haven't done it yet. I mean, that voice told me I got, uh, and, and that's still outstanding. I was going to do it this morning because I'll probably forget after church again, you know, but he's not here, so i got to do it some other time. I mean, i got to write it down or whatever, but... Jason needs my compliment, my reinforcement 
You know, it's one of the things we, we learn, you know, in our minister study week. When somebody in your congregation does something the first time, make it your responsibility to go to them and thank them for their effort. First time they have a topic, first time they teach Sunday school, first time they lead a song, first time they do whatever. That's scary. For me. I mean, I mean, I, I know when they asked me, to, teach, to lead songs the first time. I knew how to lead songs. I was taught that in school. You know what the question was in my mind? It was the stupidest question in the world. What do I do if I get up front here and I start leading a song and nobody helps? That was my fear. That I would give out the number, blow the pitch, and start, and I would be singing all by myself and nobody would help. It's the dumbest thing in the world. You see, everybody else has battles like that too. What if? What if? What if? Isaiah thirty twenty one, and I really appreciate this verse. And you want to underline this one too, you can. And in thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. God is so faithful. And we're not. We fall down so often. But that small voice says, you should have did this. And we don't do it. We'll probably look back and regret someday. As you mature, you and I will appreciate that little voice that says, see, that's the sensitivity of God as you grow. The little voice says, do this. I'd like for you to do this. You know, that's way more important than if we think God wants us to do something and we look around and nobody's getting on the bandwagon. And you think, well, then nobody even helps me. Well, so... God wants you to do it. That's your job. So then I wonder why God tells me to do something and I don't, that you know, voice tells me to do something, I don't know, I don't do it. And I wonder why then I end up with a crisis with a fire trucks on the way, so to speak. Putting out the fire in my life. And I'm so embarrassed because of the mess. Well, I didn't get done again, so I guess we have another one. I'm not starting on nothing, so. You know, our Christian life is a Tremendous journey. It, 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 it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You know, you don't get a second shot at it. Like raising children. You know, it's like certain things in life you don't get a second shot at. And, and you know, we want to be the best that God wants us to be. And I, I really encourage you this morning that in your walk with God, you know, and I'm preaching myself this morning. You know, we need to be serious about it. We need to 
We need to understand that the world has fallen. All right? We don't live in perfect situations. And we all have inclinations, you know, in our in our lives to carnality. And we don't get it right, you know. And, and, and a lot of things. And God uses those things to teach us. And to make us better people. But whatever it is, brothers and sisters, this morning, it's worth every ounce of your effort and my effort. God is paying attention and he's watching. And I'm sure he is blessed.